Welcome to C3 Church Central Coast Sermon Cast. We pray that you'll be inspired and impacted by this message and trust that you're better equipped to live your best life. story was uh, only about a week after I'd moved from Canberra. Um, so I grew up, born and raised in Canberra. I moved to the coast around a year ago, and my brother had moved up about a year before that. And I uh, came and visited a couple times and thought it was a pretty nice area. Uh, as a Canberran, anywhere where there's a beach is good, but it didn't seem totally dead like the south coast, uh, which Canberrans are used to. So I thought, you know, we'll just see what happens. And um, my wife, Sam, and I started to, to pray about uh, just I know the desires of our heart to, to have an opportunity to move somewhere else and sort of lay down our own roots and foundations in a place. So we moved, and uh, I was only a few days into my job. I met Pete once in Canberra, and he called me up and said, uh, are you come and talk at school this Friday? I'm like, I've only been on the coast for a few days and still sort of just finding my bearings. Uh, but I got to go along to Gosford and, and share, and I do remember a sort of like a I could hear the concern in the phone call around, uh, you know, poetry. I was like, it's all right, I got this, it's all good. Um, so I actually, I did study uh, English literature and philosophy at uni, um, but I'm really passionate about, about rap and hip-hop music and, and basically, uh, you know, very familiar with the, the like, attitudes that young people have towards poetry, which I myself had as a high school student. Um, so I basically wrote my English Honours uh, thesis around how poetry needs to be taught a little bit differently. Um, and actually, when I came in this morning, we were just having a brief discussion. Chris said, so why is it called spoken word poetry? Is it all poetry meant to be so spoken word? Um, which actually, poetry was an oral thing before it was written. You know, before there were books that were throwing dusty in the back of the library, uh, people were telling stories. Uh, it's just a powerful human thing. So I'm uh, really 
blessed to be able to be here this morning to, to share some stories with you, um, to share some, some poetry, um, and hopefully just to encourage you um, in a couple of areas that are maybe challenging. Are you feeling comfortable at the moment? Because uh, I'm hoping that you won't be shortly. Um, so there's this uh, really great story. It's one of my favorite stories in the Gospels. In the book of John, you can find it in chapter 21. And uh, Jesus has recently died and uh, resurrected, which is a fairly significant achievement. And shortly after this time, he, uh, he ascends to heaven, which is also arguably an even more significant achievement. And right in between these two monumental events, Jesus is cooking breakfast on the beach. It's so ordinary. And uh, he's just cooking a meal for the boys. They're out fishing, and uh, they're not really catching anything. And Jesus tells them to put the net over the other side of the boat. Pretty weird instruction. And yet somehow they go from catching nothing all night to just this burst of fish. And then Peter sees Jesus on the shore, dives in, swims towards Jesus. And uh, it's weird because the last interaction they had was when, when Peter was saying to Jesus, I would never deny you. I promise I would never deny you. And then what does he do three times? Says, I don't even know this guy. And uh, then over breakfast, over this really ordinary moment in between significant pillars of Jesus' life, uh, they just have this meal. Jesus says to Peter three times, do you love me? And three times, Peter had denied Jesus, and now three times he's reinstated, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Do you love me? Yes, Lord. Do you love me? Yes, Lord. And then Jesus has this strange request for Peter. See, we know he says, feed my sheep. It's a strange thing to say. But you guys all just say, feed my sheep. What a bunch of sheep. I tell you to do something. So Jesus said to Peter, feed my sheep. And maybe we got caught up on the sheep part. As pastors watch their flocks flock to safe pastures. Like the Lord is my shepherd. So I'm just going to live out the nice parts of the 23rd Psalm. Serene, calm, lying down on the farm. Let's just ignore that valley of the shadow of death part. So obsessed with comfort. Is that what Jesus wanted? Using our mustard seed faith to make mustard. Instead of moving the mountains we were entrusted. You know the feeling when you believe it but don't trust it. Your belly turns to custard. You're feeling fragile and flustered. When it's all done and dusted, I don't want a faith that's dusty or rusted. Do you know the biggest mountain God could move? It's me and you. The twisting, towering Everest of our human hearts fractured. But that's what the book of Acts is. Are you looking for the miracles? For healings, manifestations, transformations, look no further than the disciples. Awkward trainees turned into warriors. Fearful fishermen turned into fearless immigrants, crossing borders in international waters, proclaiming, Hey, we just saw a dead guy come back to life. No, really, we just saw a dead guy come back to life. And it's not enough to rock up to a building once or twice each week and pay respect to old architecture, conduct services like art lectures, sit down, stand up, flip some pages, repeat some phrases. 
We just saw a dead guy come back to life. So we're sharing everything we own. Like here are the keys to my home, but that alone is not enough. We don't just share our property. We refuse to participate in poverty. Among us, everyone is fed properly. It's not some strange new philosophy like Plato or Socrates. It's just responding honestly to God coming in modesty, dying rather shockingly, and seemingly impossibly coming back like this is where he wants to be. Such events could prompt you to stand before the kings of culture, before emperors, Caesars, heads of state, stating, do you think we care what you tell us? Do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We can't stop sharing about the things we've seen and heard. That's Acts 4.19-20. That's Peter and John telling authority to stick it. But it's not an excuse to behave like a religious bigot insensitively shoveling self-righteousness on your critics. But when I tuck away my faith because it's embarrassing to live it, I wonder, do I understand the Holy Spirit? God, could you move these mountains in us? It makes me feel sheepish, squeamish when I see our response to the Lamb, reading about disciples dying for their faith while we die of embarrassment when we feel out of place. We're supposed to stand out. We're supposed to be counterculture. You can't be salt and light without being salty and bright. We flip through the book of Acts, the glory days, reminiscing like, if only, if only what? That God was our God? If only what? We believed the Holy Spirit was a person and not a catchphrase, not a phrase you could catch on good Sundays when a sermon is theologically sound and delivered with extra oomph. Don't misread me as cynical, but as critical to note. Taking notes won't change your life. Tweeting quotes won't change your life. Well-intentioned service attendance is never going to change your life. But the Spirit of the living God can. The Spirit of God can raise a dead man, bring life in the dead. Ancient lands turn scattered sheep into faithful lambs with lion hearts and open hands. God, could you move these mountains in us? So uh, what's this whole being the sheep, being church supposed to look like? Because when, uh, you know, Peter got given this instruction and, uh, you know, all the things that happened after Jesus ascended, it was pretty crazy. It was a significant transformation in the disciples. And I sometimes think that we have, uh, we've reverted back to pre-resurrection Jesus disciples. And I was just thinking this morning about, you know, the disciples before Jesus came back from the dead and the disciples afterwards. And they had some good moments before Jesus came back from the dead. They were enthusiastic, they were present, they were trying, and yet they were clumsy and bungling, and their prayers weren't filled with power, they weren't filled with confidence, and the things that they said, even when they were passionate with their words, even when Peter said, I'm never going to deny you, their actions told a different story. And yet after they saw Jesus come back to life, Something just totally clicked in them, and they were transformed. 
And I just want to challenge you today. You know, somebody who has grown up in church, I was uh, blessed to grow up in, in a you know, Christian home, in uh, you know, a pretty, pretty safe environment. Um, but, you know, it was, uh, it was so much around uh, just being comfortable, sort of the nice prayers before we go out, you know, for a holiday, go like, be safe on the road. And, uh, you know, like just all the, the safe, comfortable, nice Christianity, which uh, just to me seems more pre-resurrection because uh, you're enthusiastic and there's good things happening. And uh, I don't want to fault, you know, like the church is still here. And so obviously the, the sheep have been fed throughout the ages. But I guess I just want to really just, for those of us who weren't there, seeing the resurrected Jesus face to face, maybe start to think about how would that really change your life? Would it become more than services and, and rosters and ministries and maybe waving at your neighbours every now and again a really nice Christ-like smile? I think I think it would look a little bit more extreme than that. And uh, like I said, I'm blessed to have grown up in a Christian home and in a church all my life, but there's so many things about Jesus I've had to relearn. And I've had to kind of actually look at stories I've, I've heard, you know, so many times and think, what would it be like if I was actually there in that group? So I just want to challenge you with that one question to walk away with. You know, are you living like a, a pre-resurrection disciple? There's good moments, but it's not the whole picture. Are you living as a post-resurrection disciple who is absolutely filled with fire and confidence and boldness and courage? So I just want to share another poem now, which is about our first impressions of God. Now, I don't know what your first impression of God was like. I don't know if you grew up in church. I don't know if your first impression was kind of the, the one that I had of a, a very safe and very pleasant and politically correct God. I don't know if your first impression was a very distant, absent, disinterested God. I don't know if your first impression was a God of injustice, because how could the world treat you the way it has? Being in a room this size, there's going to be some different first impressions, but I just want to invite you during this piece to maybe just uh, try and put those aside and let's just have a think about maybe how God views us. Before you had formed an impression of me, I had formed an impression of you. An artistic impression, an expression like reflection in complex sections like me. I am free. So I gave you mind, body, spirit, in a tangle of physics, and I breathed into dust to make you. Before you had formed an image of me, in my image I had formed your image to be. The synergy, the mystery, deceptive simplicity under the illusion of serendipity. Before you had mastered scientific hypothesis, I turned my hypothesis into a universe. And hypothetically, did you understand what you are worth to be first loved by the one who is love? Before you had ever struck a chord on a guitar, I strung up the stars with a chord from my heart. I played the first improvisation solo. I was the first MC, the first to play middle C, the first to dip a toe into the depths of the sea. Before you traded your spark for a share in the dark, I reached into deep reservoirs and pulled human hearts out of clay jars. And I am the one who can soften or harden, punish or pardon, 
who could melt down those stars and turn them into a garden. Before you examine me like you're some kind of expert, why don't you flex first and see if your muscles can stretch earth? Where were you when I laid the foundations of the nations? I'll tell you, you were somewhere in my mind's eye. You were a blueprint in my eye sky. You were the twinkle of an idea long before you had arrived here. Before you composed or created, crafted clothes or debated, felt exposed or naked or enclosed or invaded. Before you dreamed or wrote or needed hope. Before you loved or shrugged or screamed or whispered. Before all things, I existed. You're sitting here because I chose you. Because I breathed life into your lungs and I deemed light to flow from the sun. And if you hear nothing else, then hear this. Aspects of my being will remain to you mysterious. You don't need to comprehend in order to experience my love. So I just want to invite you, maybe that's a, a small part of it, but to continue to to just reimagine the, the position that we inhabit in the universe and the position that God inhabits. And then the really nuts thing is that, you know, the one who can stretch out galaxies and stars came and, and put human skin on. We became so small, and yet all of that fullness was in Christ. And he showed us how to live a fully human life. So uh, how do we respond to that? How do we respond when we realize that Jesus is who we said he was? How do we respond to a Jesus who came and, and lived around meal tables and lived with broken, hurting people and then resurrected and sort of smashes us with the truth of that and just kind of sit there and go, well, what do I do? How do we become like the Acts Church? Well, I, uh, you know, it, it's really hard to think about just what does that look like in our world today? Because we look... We look at the book of Acts and we kind of make all these excuses like they didn't maybe work as much back then. They didn't have all the, the pressures of modern life. You know, it was easy for them to live in this intense community and, and bless everybody. Actually, they had it pretty hard. They faced some pretty serious persecution. But it's a, it's a legitimate question in, in looking at how huge God is, how small he became, and, and what this should mean for us. What does it mean in our current context? And... Uh, there's a lot of questions to be asked there. But in this 21st century of Skype and PlayStations, planes and train stations, I'm trying to figure out what it means to be missional, church, sent. Debating old questions with new phrases on all our social media. If only we could just look it up on the pages of Wikipedia or with a simple Google search. Where is our Judea? Samaria, our ends of the earth. Does liking the Facebook status of a well-known Christian tick my weekly box for evangelism? Is waving at my neighbors and being really polite, proclaiming the reign and rule of Christ? As this globe shrinks in, draws down, stops sleeping, running on 4G networks and 3D TVs, why do we still struggle to see Jesus where he said he would be? In hunger, 
nakedness, hospitals, prisons, amongst Gaza Strip rubble, behind barbed wire fences, with the defenseless, faceless, asylum seekers fleeing violent leaders silenced upon breaching our private beaches. I find it hard to look at images of suffering children, but my Bible suggests that's where Christ is hidden, whatever you did for the least of these. And that's daunting, right? It's hard not to be desensitized. There's so many desperate lives to conceive with your mental eyes and the constant barrage of censored lies and the truth off-center to the left and right leaves us debating was Jesus left or right. I'm not feeling like we've left what's right when our zeal is misdirected at internal bites instead of carrying the movement we were left with, right? So for a moment, shut the online feed. Ignore the news cycle. It might feel like idle time because we made time an idol, but the instruction to be still comes from the Bible. The only set of texts that can reconnect disconnected humans in the most connected time ever. Let's recollect the movement. Do you want the gospel? Do you want the good news? The author of Aurora Borealis, the creator of hope, wants to partner with us to restore the planet we broke. That's as crazy as it sounds. But every page of scripture points to it. Every stuttering, limping, hypocritical train wreck chosen by God to build a backwards kingdom where the king is a servant and the servants are crowned kings. So you don't have to feel gathered, ready, articulate, confident, evangelical, significant. We are the prostituted church, the wife of Hosea, deserving no second chances, guilty of widespread tragedies and unbelievable apathy. And yet, we're growing in beauty, making a dent on poverty, rescuing children from trafficking, responding to the groans of creation. I guess love really does cover a multitude of sins. So in this 21st century, what does it mean to be missional, church, sent? The historical context doesn't make it more complex. It's always been as simple and difficult as opening your hands and saying, yes, God, write me into your plans. Because the same Jesus who cooked fish on a beach and died like a lamb lives like a lion with fire in his belly and a life-giving roar. And because of what he did, his power is yours. So I just want to leave you with one final thought. This poetry is all good and nice, but uh, how, do we, how do we respond to, to such huge themes? And uh, it's probably one of my favorite things that Jesus said in Matthew 13, uh, verse 31. Here is another illustration Jesus used. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in a field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of garden plants. It grows into a tree, and birds come and make nests in in its branches. And I absolutely love this parable because it encourages me that uh, to be a part of spreading the kingdom of God, I only need mustard seeds. And mustard seeds are small acts of radical love. When I look 
look at Jesus' life, at 30 years where he wasn't doing anything particularly miraculous except small acts of radical love, eating with people, talking with people, affirming the worth in ordinary, everyday human beings doing ordinary things. If Jesus could work in a normal job and eat around the, the tables of drunkards and gluttons, then uh, who would do anything different? So I just want to encourage you, in amongst all our big themes, you know, continue to be, be smashed by how big God is, but then arm yourself with tiny mustard seeds of, in your context, what does that look like to live that kind of life? Because the kingdom of God spreads like wildfire when we do that. We hope you enjoyed this message and feel challenged and encouraged. Please let others know about our podcast so they too can learn to live their best life. You can find out more about our church and ministries at c3cc.org.au. See you next time. God bless.